Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 157 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Lime Sleuth, an interview with Kim Stansel. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So Matt, this was an awesome podcast interview with this really bright young woman who graduated from Duke University, went on to become an actor in New York City, got sick from Lyme disease and converted a series of experiences and life events into what is now a really cool coaching business. And Rich, not only did Kim give us specific tools and advice regarding how she healed from Lyme disease, but she also talked to us about a wide variety of things from an emotional standpoint to overcome certain obstacles with Lyme. She talked to us about how to overcome depression in Lyme disease, fear with Lyme disease, and not getting stuck in this fear loop that many of us get stuck in with Lyme disease and gave us specific tactics to do that. Matt, what I enjoyed most about this episode is Kim took a step-by-step approach to gathering the clues she needed to ultimately get herself to the point where she was first diagnosed and ultimately healed. And she's now offering that system to people in her Lyme coaching business. So without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce the Lyme sleuth to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hey, Kim, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. So fun to be here. We're really excited to have you as well. So Kim, tell us where where are you uh, calling in from? I am calling in from Ashland, Oregon, the uh, the majestic Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and uh, are you uh, originally from Oregon, or you, or did you grow up somewhere else? No, I grew up about forty five minutes north of Chicago, so in this little village called Matawa, where there are more deer than people. Um, yeah, and that's where I originally grew up, and I just moved out here a couple of years ago. So uh, you grew up where the Lime Belt has extended. The Lime Belt started here on Long Island and around the Long Island Sound. But uh, we have many, many guests who are from the Chicago, in and around the Chicago area. So that seems to be mm-hmm. the second Lime Belt that's, uh, that's developed here in the U.S. So Kim, talk to us about what your childhood was like and um, what you were pursuing before you had gotten sick. Yeah, um, well, I grew up um, in that little town in the woods and was always playing outside and everything like that. Um, Just very awesome outdoor childhood experience. And I was actually a really serious gymnast. So I always had so much energy. I was very robust physically. Um, I used to get teased all the time. Like I'm like the energizer bunny. I never quit. (laughs) And, um, you know, always was very full of life and larger than life and um, would go to like gymnastics practice for five, six hours a day, come home, do it all again the next day after school, um, would go to gymnastics camp every summer and do 10 hour day workouts, you know, twice, five hour day workouts. And, um, yeah, it was always just super physically active and energetic. Um, and then I grew up, I went to college and I actually ended up breaking my back right before I went to college, um, in gymnastics, I broke it about five times. And so that ended things in gymnastics for me, which was pretty wild. Um, and so then from there, I'm like, well, what do I want to do? I, you know, when you're young, you think you're going to be doing what you're doing in the moment forever. (laughs) So I was like, what, what do I do without gymnastics? I thought I was going to do it forever. And then I went to college and explored a bunch of different things. And I was pre-med for a while. I thought I wanted to go into medicine. I always had this interest in health. And then I was going to do some extra summer school classes because I didn't want to have all these classes during the year because it just take you know, it's a lot of work and a lot of time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take a couple classes to get the load off. And um, I was like, you know, I want to do something creative um, instead of just all science and math. I can't take it. And it should have been a sign right there that maybe I wasn't on the right path. <laughs> but I ended up taking this acting class because all other classes were full. I signed up late. 
there was this advanced acting class that was open and I asked the teacher and they're like, okay, yeah, you can take the class. Sure. And I'm like, oh, just watch. I've never done acting. They're like, you're going to take the class. Okay. So I ended up taking this class and um, really liking it. And I ended up um, being an actor. That's what I was doing. I moved to New York city. I was pursuing acting at first. Then I was an actor and was, that was my profession career and making money doing that. And all during that time, um, you know, I started, that's when my symptoms started happening and I started getting sicker. So let's talk about when your symptoms began. How old were you when you first began to show the signs or the symptoms of what you now know to be Lyme disease? Yeah, I was 21. I was fresh out of college and, you know, bright eyed and bushy or what do you call bushy tailed, bright eyed. Yeah, that's it. Bright eyed and bushy tailed. (laughs) Like, is it a bright bushy tail? I can't remember. (laughs) But anyway, I was really excited to be moving to New York and, you know, just start my life. And I moved to New York and then I started um, noticing these things. Like I started getting acne and I'd never had acne my whole life. You know, my skin had always been fine. I'd never even thought about it. And I started breaking out and that was kind of my first like, well, huh, like what's going on here? And I really didn't grow up with that knowledge of the brain body um, connection or the, that you, you know, what you put into your body matters, what you're doing, you know, um, emotionally, all that stuff matters in terms of your health. So I really was just super confused by it and started having to put together the pieces. I started changing my diet. I thought that that might you know, work and I saw my skin clear up. And so I thought, okay, great. Okay, great. You know, I've changed my diet. I became a raw vegan. (laughs) I went down this whole path and I thought, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm good. And then, you know, another symptom presented, I started feeling really tired. My brain was just foggy. I couldn't think I'd always been super, you know, quick witted and on it. And I just felt slowed down and I felt like I couldn't put together things like connections I couldn't stay focused for a long time. Um, I'm naturally, you know, a creative person. And that's what a lot of people call ADHD. I also have that, you know, I have that predilection to kind of think in five different directions at once, but it felt really different. It felt like something else was going on besides that. So I started feeling really foggy, really hard to think and function. Um, I got rashes. I had this experience where my whole body broke out in rashes. And I just thought, Oh my God, what's going on. You know, I thought I had like handled the acne. I thought I had like, you know, and all these things kept popping up. So, um, I got rashes all over my body, ended up having insomnia for a long time for maybe a year or two. Um, and time was kind of foggy, you know, when you don't sleep for a couple of months, (laughs) you're like, was it a year or was it two, but it was a really long time and it was super frustrating. Um, and my joints started to hurt. Um, I just, I felt like I looked different than normal kind of aging processes or like, as time goes on, your, your looks might shift, but I just kind of felt like something was off. I could see it in my face. I could see it in my eyes and I just was really confused. So let me walk you back. Um, and then, yeah, let's take a walk back. Let's take a walk back together. So you grow you grew up in Chicago or in the Chicago mm-hmm. area. Um, what yeah. do you know about ticks and tick diseases uh, growing up in in the Midwest? Yeah, that's a great question. I I didn't know much. You know, I had heard generally like you know um, tick check. Like we would do tick checks. You know, after being in the woods, my mom would be like, "Oh, tick check." 
Um, I didn't really know totally what that meant or like, you know, I thought it was just like a bug bite or something. And if you get bit by the bug and you put some lotion on it, you know, I didn't fully understand. And then I remember also like camping this one experience I had of this tick. I remember I was camping with a few friends of mine and one of my friends woke up with a tick, like burrowing into their eyelash line, like right near their eyelashes in their eye. And then I remember how we had to pull it out <laughs> and like, you know, burn the, whatever the end of it with the uh, matchstick. Um, and I remember my dog getting a tick once having to do the same kind of pull it out of him, but I never heard or don't remember anyone teaching me about the long lasting effects of Lyme. Um, when I was younger, there weren't people talking about it. It's kind of like, Oh, you get a bite. And then, you know, um, there wasn't much more information given. So you were so. generally, you were generally aware of ticks in part because mm -hmm. of your companion animal having a tick on him or her. You had a friend who had a mm -hmm. tick on their eyelash mm -hmm. or eyelid and your mom mm -hmm. used to say, do tick checks, but that really didn't mean anything to you. You really weren't taking any steps to either protect yourself from ticks or to check yourself to determine if you had a tick on you. Yeah, no, I don't think so. You know, I remember us doing bug spray, but I never remember like a tick spray or if we did it. I don't really know, um, you know, I wasn't really aware of it to that level, to that degree. So what type of tick checks were you doing? What did that mean to you? It meant like check your whole body. My mom would check us after being in the woods, you know, and just like look at our hair and look, you know, make sure that we didn't have a tick like hanging on us. So I and, remember that. And how would she do that? Was that a visual check or was it something else? Um, yeah, it was a visual check and she'd like burrow through our hair, kind of like a monkey, you know, kind of like checking, <laughs> making sure, doing a thorough check of everything. And I actually never got a tick bite. So that's something interesting about my story is that wow. I never got a tick bite. So, well, just because you didn't find a tick doesn't mean you didn't get I'm, a tick bite. I may have. Um, I have family members that also have Lyme. So it also could have been passed on. So to me, the origin of where I got it is unclear, but then, you know, it was clear that I had it. So, okay. So yeah. um, when you say family members have Lyme disease, does that, does that mean your mother or your father have Lyme disease or some other family member? Mm -hmm. Yes, directly my mother or my father. And so that was a kind of a natural pass down from there. Okay. So mm -hmm. at least, at least with the laboratory research that's been established, and mm -hmm. there is, there is some question about whether or not Lyme can be, passed on through, um, through sex, um, mm -hmm. some support, some, some debate about that. But I think, I think either congenital Lyme and or a tick bite are the only two ways you can be sure that you would get, you would get Lyme disease. So your mom and or your dad have Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. When, when did your parents begin to start showing their symptoms of Lyme disease? Um, probably, uh, you know, I don't really know. It's their personal journey. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure, but I do know that at a certain point they weren't feeling well and that became clear as they got older. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so let's, uh, let's focus on your, your symptoms and the development uh, of your symptoms. Mm -hmm. So when you came to New York, Mm -hmm. Were you, were you in any wooded areas or anywhere where, um, you may have come in contact with a tick? No, just the concrete jungle, <laughs> which, you know, I don't think ticks hang out there in the concrete jungle, but <laughs> they, uh, unless you were in one of the parks or in some place where there was some grass, I think it's unlikely that uh, mm -hmm. you would come in contact with it, but you didn't get any additional information about ticks or Lyme disease when you came to New York, did you? No, mm -mm. 
Uh, no, it had just been like a general whisper kind of in my, you know, my life experience so far, but, you know, um, uh, my parents were undiagnosed at that point. Um, they didn't know that. And then also I didn't, you know, again, have any information about that. Okay. So now you start to get these weird symptoms when you're around 21 years old. And I guess the mm -hmm. question is, was that as a result of you just suffering a tick bite? Or was that the result of there being some stressful events in your life, which ultimately resulted in immune disruption, causing your Lyme disease to take off? So if you were to analyze what was going on in your life at that time, what do you think was going on? And why do you think your Lyme symptoms took off when they did? Yeah, I think that there was uh, stress for sure. You know, I was 21 years old and moving to New York City by myself and not knowing anybody and just really taking a huge risk and just going for it. Um, and also, I just think it was time. You know, I think that for whatever reason, it showed up then and all my symptoms, you know, I had not been taking care of myself physically um, uh, on other levels as well. And so I think that, it just kind of all came to a head, you know, the things that I had been doing up to that point were pretty destructive in terms of supporting my immune system, supporting my health. And I think it was just like my body just said, uncle, <laughs> just said, so, had so enough. Give, so. give us some more detail about what it is that you were doing. Were you, were you not sleeping? Were you drinking too much? Were you, what was going on in your life that yeah. you to believe that your immune system was being suppressed by your conduct? Mm hmm. Yeah, I was always so like I said, I was always very physically robust. I was a gymnast, I had this constitution where I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And I would never feel the effects or maybe I wasn't aware of the effects at the time because I was younger and had a different level of awareness. But I never like hit a wall, I, I would get sick and then I'd bounce back. Um, I was always kind of in that zone. And so I could eat whatever I wanted. I could not sleep. I could go to bed late. I could wake up early. You know, it was just, I was just kind of all over the place. Um, I also didn't understand the different components of, you know, organic food and um, being mindful and drinking water. And, you know, like, you know, in college you're drinking alcohol and you're just like, <laughs> staying up to crazy hours and you're pushing yourself. And, um, I also didn't have like the support that I needed as a human being, as a person to feel, um, you know, like calm or, um, I had a lot of anxiety and so, yeah, it was just kind of everything coming to a head at once, I would say. So do you believe the anxiety was a consequence of you now moving into this very, very competitive environment in this very mm -hmm. competitive field. And it, there's just natural anxieties that are associated with, with pursuing the career as an actor or are the other things going on? Oh, I think all the above D all the above is what I choose. Okay. <laughs> Cause it's like New York, you know, anxiety general as being a human being living in the world. Um, you know, I think most people struggle with that acting starting this new thing and I also you know looking back on it feel like anxiety is also connected to Lyme you know that's something big that I've learned in my journey that there's anxiety emotionally or spiritually however you want to put it as a as a person um, in that day-to-day -day living of life and then there's also anxiety that is connected to your physical what's going on in your body and I would, as the years went on, I started to separate those two things and kind of learn like, Ooh, this actually feels like it's connected to something else that's totally unrelated 
to what I'm going through. And then I started putting together that that was, you know, from Lyme and um, that inside your body working, you know, doing its thing. So Kim, your diagnostic journey was nine years long. You were getting sicker and sicker over some window of time. So talk to us about when you first started to see doctors after mm -hmm. your experience with acne and the brain fog and this whole body. Uh -huh. rash. When did you, when did you go to a doctor for the first time? Oh yes. Wasn't that a fun journey? <laughs> um, gosh, when did I go my first time? Probably a couple years after I started having symptoms. Okay. I, so I went and did the whole diet thing. I was like full force. Okay. You know, and I met this person who, you know, I was like, oh, they had had acne and they'd cleared it with diet. And she's like, oh, if you just clear it with diet, it's good. And I'm like, okay, great. Then that's whatever I'm eating is the problem. So I just kind of went full force down that path of the diet. Um, and then obviously I got to the wall with that. I hit the end of the road with that and, and still felt all, you know, these other symptoms happening, like, oh, great. My skin, my skin was clear, but who cares? I'm not, I'm still not feeling like X, Y, Z. Ah, okay. So it's not necessarily that. So that took me a couple years. Then I hit the wall there. I kind of went down all these different paths before I really kind of put these pieces of the puzzle together. So I'd probably say maybe like three years after I'd started having symptoms, I went to see my first, you know, quote unquote doctor. And I really just had no idea what was going on. And I really just felt so confused and felt something like something was wrong, quote unquote wrong, you know, also so right, because it brought me to where I am now. But there was really something tough and challenging going on in my body that I couldn't put my finger on. And I just had experience after experience of people, you know, oh, you look fine. And, you know, you hear it all the time, X, Y, Z, every different Lyme, you know, story, you hear that. Um, so then, but then it was cool because I don't feel like that was a waste of time at all. I feel like that was really powerful in terms of learning a lot. So one doctor that I went to happened to focus on this genetic mutation um, that's linked to autism, you know, and he really focused on that and heavy metals. So then I started learning about that and heavy metals. And I actually had that genetic mutation. It's MTHFR. You've heard of it. It, it's really hard for you to detox and your methylation cycle B vitamins are low. So you have to keep that. So it's like, oh, okay. So then that's a piece of the puzzle, even before I knew what the puzzle even was of Lyme. So I kind of started gathering these little things along the way. Um, and these like little nuts that I would, you know, take back with me, you know, going back to the squirrel analogy of being bright and bushy tails. <laughs> I, um, I started gathering these little nuts and like taking them back, you know, to my tree or wherever they take them and storing them and going like, okay, like, okay, now, um, what do I do? And like, you know, kind of eating that little bit and then, and then digesting and then going on to the next thing. So I, I feel like that journey was, um, interesting, although very frustrating as well. So going back to the first doctor that you treated with, what mm -hmm. did you tell the doctor, the re what, what, what did you, tell the doctor was the reason for you visiting with him, her, or them? And um, what did the doctor diagnose you with? You mean the first doctor in general or the first doctor for Lyme? No, no. First doctor in general. I mean, you're, you're, you're three yeah. years into, you're three years into mm -hmm. your, your symptom journey and you finally are getting so sick that you now have to see a doctor. Why'd you go to the doctor? What'd you say to the doctor about why you were <laughs> visiting um, that healthcare professional? 
Yeah, I think um, I didn't even fully know why I was visiting him. I didn't have like a clear reason. But as I started to fill out the form, like, what are your symptoms? I had to start clarifying them for myself. Like, okay, and what am I really asking? But I knew I was super tired, you know, and I got, you know, I have these rashes. I have, I'm just, I'm brain fog, you know? Um, and like, it was hard to describe a feeling. Like, I just feel sick, you know? Um, but I would try to describe that and then say like, I need, I don't even know what's going on, but maybe we can test, maybe we can do all this stuff. So, so what impact were these symptoms having on your acting career? Oh, that's, yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, it was very, it was hard for me to focus. I remember it feeling hard to memorize lines. Um, I remember just feeling like the challenge of even just walking down the street in New York and having to go to an audition or having the energy. And I would just feel so tired in New York. You know, it's a, it can be an exhausting place. You guys know it's, it's a hustle bustle, you know, and you're walking places and you're taking the subway and it's different from getting in your car and driving, you know, whatever. And you're around all this energy and people. So there was that, but I also felt like this next level of exhaustion that felt, again, not connected to necessarily being in New York, but it was just struggle to go to the auditions, come back. I would feel super tired after the day, um, after even just a couple hours, you know, of being awake. So I just remember that exhaustion feeling like the predominant feeling that I would have um, in terms of the acting. Kim, when you moved to New York, what kind of an apartment were you living in? And do you think there were any lie? I'm sorry, there were any issues with uh, mold? Oh, yes, that's a great question. So I actually moved to LA for a year um, when I had already moved to New York. And then I moved to LA a couple of years after being in New York for about a year. And I got black mold poisoning. I lived in this little cabin in Topanga Canyon, which I thought would be oh so delightful. And, you know, my fantasy dream, this little cabin in Topanga Canyon, um, you know, and then it just, it was riddled with black mold. I started getting really sick. My eyes were bloodshot. My hair was falling out. Um, all my, my symptoms that I'd already had just had expanded times a million. And I, I found that out too, that I, I trusted my senses that I had had. Uh, I did all of the research and I started looking and my symptoms and putting it together for myself. And then I felt like I got mold poisoning. This is wild. And then sure enough, you know, I told the guy and he ended up tearing down the walls of the cabin and black mold all over. So that was definitely a huge part of my journey as well. So talk to us about how your symptoms were developing and how the symptoms were affecting your life, not just professionally, but socially as well. Yeah, I just remember, you know, I love connecting with people. That's my nature. I also have a part of myself that sure loves my alone time um, and really likes to recharge in that way. But I had always been super social and I love connecting and talking to people. And I just kind of noticed it felt it felt harder for me in some ways to do that. Um, I feel like I. I kind of felt more isolated in a way like because I had after the day, it's like I felt so tired. All I could do was really just go home um, and really just be by myself. And so I think that that affected me, you know, in terms of that as well. It was harder to make the extra effort to go see someone or, you know, go have a tea or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm done. You know, I'm done after a certain point. Um, you know, that's it. So how were your symptoms developing? How were they getting worse? And what new symptoms were developing over mm -hmm. the nine-year diagnostic journey? 
Yeah, the the joint pain really ramped up. Um, that was something that came later, um, which was wild. You know, I had the exhaustion, the brain fog, the acne was what started things. Then that went away. Then I had the rashes, um, like the eczema all over and uh, the fogginess, you know, the lack of clarity. Um, it, it was interesting because I always, I, I had a clarity and that's because of my, I would say my connection um, a spiritual connection or whatever people call it, but a connection to something inside of myself and something greater that would give me a clarity. And like, I'm very, a very determined person, but it had to spend, you know, it was like, I had to really focus or like push to find that instead of it just kind of naturally being there, I had to push through the exhaustion and all this stuff really fight for that because it felt like very hard to just exist in the daily tasks. So on one hand, I would have this clarity and the other hand, I felt super foggy and just, you know, just who I am. I'm very like very strong willed and focused. So I would fight for that. And then it would just be this overwhelming sense of exhaustion and lack of clarity. So it was this very bizarre experience. Um, and so it was very physical, like I could feel the physicality of like something's happening inside my body that's creating this lack of clarity, this fogginess, the joint pain too. I remember being in a yoga class. I was, you know, really into yoga and I used to do sports and stuff. And that's one of the things that really changed too. I had no motivation to move my body. I had no motivation to work out that got worse over the years. You know, I really saw that change. I didn't want to go to class. I didn't want to, you know, go for a run. Um, I just didn't want to do anything, but I remember being in a yoga class, like making myself go to a yoga class. I felt like I needed to do something and then doing like a forearm stand, um, which is where you're on your, you know, your hands, you're doing like a handstand, but it's kind of on your forearms. Um, and your elbows are at a point on the ground that's hitting it. And just having this shooting pain through my elbows, just like, Whoa, this really extreme joint pain. And that's really the first time I noticed that I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. Um, and then just, and then my neck was going out a lot, which was interesting too. My neck was a huge symptom of mine. Like it would just almost pull out. There'd be a, like a spine, like almost a bone that would go out. And then my whole, it'd be like a migraine, you know, like an intense amount of pain. It would go shoot up through my head and it'd be like that for hours. I couldn't get it to calm down. I would do all the things, um, and then I developed, you know, where I found certain techniques to deal with that, some natural remedies to do that. Um, so things started to move, but I started to feel like, oh, it feels like something with maybe, you know, once I found out I'd line the bacteria in my spine, the, the, the bacteria, in my muscles pulling things out there, a general tension that was always there too. That really changed. Like my body didn't ever feel relaxed. It felt like my muscles were constantly like gripping um, because of what was going on in my body. So that's, those are kind of the things I started notice getting that increased over the years, you know, so how, how many doctors did you see between the time that you saw your first doctor after you were, I guess at 23 or 24 years old and the time that you were diagnosed with Lyme disease at 30? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, because that time was also a little more foggy, I don't know the exact number, but I would say probably around like maybe like eight doctors. Um, yeah. And all in different genres, maybe, maybe closer to 10, but you know, I would go and, you know, um, Oh, is it this? Is it that, you know, Oh, it's something going on with my GI, you know, I got to go to a gastroenterologist. Uh, uh, it's something with my skin. I'll go to a dermatologist. It's something with my, you know, whatever. I mean, it could be more than that. I don't really know, but I remember kind of 
trying to go down the path of these different specialties that these doctors had and saying like, okay, well, maybe it's this, well, maybe it's that and trying it and then seeing how it felt, which I think is a super important part of a Lyme journey. Um, just going down the path you're feeling. And then I would go like, nope, that's not it. You know, nope, that's not it. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what I would do. Um, go to doctor to doctor. It was a doctor hop. <laughs> the good old doctor hop. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're moving from the squirrel metaphor to the rabbit metaphor. <laughs> exactly. We're just going to go through all the woodland creatures and do a metaphor <laughs> for them all. So... Now you, you, uh, and I like the metaphor that you used before where you said that you were essentially going to each doctor, you mm -hmm. were, you were gathering your nuts from that doctor, you were going home mm -hmm. again and you were adding that to, you know, the pile of nuts that ultimately led you to your diagnosis. Yeah. Did any of the doctors prior to your diagnosis at 30 mm -hmm. suggest to you that Lyme was an issue you should consider? No, not now, once. Now, while you were on your investigation and you were gathering your nuts, um, mm -hmm. did you ever do any research where you came across the suggestion that perhaps your symptoms were Lyme related? Um, I remember I had a friend of mine who was kind of talking about uh, Lyme very generally. And I just remember hearing that. That's it. I didn't have any thoughts about, oh, that might be me or whatnot. Um, I just remember, I just remember that. And then, um, yeah, wait, what was your question? Um, <laughs> Make sure yeah. I'm answering your question so instead of, your, your, um, your graduate of Duke university, one of the top universities in the country, very bright young woman, you're in the process mm -hmm. of trying to gather the information you need mm -hmm. to solve your health crisis mm -hmm. or your, your health, yeah. your health problems. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're taking this traditional path where you're going to different doctors and you're gathering information from each one of these doctors as mm -hmm. they're using their frameworks to help diagnose you. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering whether or not you <clears throat> separately were using Google or any other tools to plug uh, yes. in your, your, your symptoms to get a diagnosis that was different than the incomplete or improper diagnoses you were getting from the doctors. Yeah. Well, I love that. Totally. Yes. The Google, I was using the Google, you know, fervently and, and I really feel like I was taking research skills that um, I'd always been interested in that, like very curious person. And then, you know, I think the, be the, the thing I liked most about college was really like the research aspect and, and, and looking in books and finding these different things. So I really, and I feel like that, that environment sharpened my skills in a certain way to do that. Um, and then I was using the Google for sure. And like going, you know, really that's where my sleuthing I think was really developed is those years when I was doing it myself um, and really researching and um, going to the end of things and picking up a thread that I had from another article and going that way, like really instinctually finding my way through a lot of information, um, you know, the internet and everyone's got different opinions. So I was really kind of putting in symptoms and then learning how to put it together for myself and not go like, oh, that's totally, but how do you find that 
I was developing that skill of how do I find that thing that really lights up for me? And that might not be the ultimate answer, but that's going to be the next step. That's going to be the next piece of information. That's going to be the next article that takes me there. Um, I had come across Lyme a little bit in my research, but again, I didn't really remember that. I just kind of, um, I had it in my, I had it in my awareness, but it wasn't like, oh, that's it. That's what I, that's what I have yet. That's, I didn't have that bell go off for me yet. Talk to us about where you were emotionally during this nine year journey and mm -hmm. what impact your emotions had on giving you clues to what steps you should be taking next. Yeah, I love that question. Well, you know, I have a mentor that really taught me that when you go, you know, how to instinctually feel things out and that your emotions are the gateway to that information. So I really was learning about that and really was learning that, okay, I don't, how do I follow that feeling of, I don't feel good. I, I feel like something's off, even if other people are saying, like the doctors are saying, no, it's not this, it's not that. And I was using that to propel me. I think those feelings of hopelessness or the feelings of, I don't feel good, but also learning how to not be swallowed by it and to use it to keep springboarding me to the next step and not um, go into that level of despair where you're not moving your journey forward, which is so easy to do. I definitely felt all those feelings. Um, and I really had the support to learn how do I feel all those feelings and use them to propel me forward to that next clue, like you're saying, instead of just kind of being swallowed inside. So you're, you're, you didn't allow the negative emotions that you were feeling or the, or the emotions related to suffering prevent mm -hmm. you from moving forward. And you just, you, you said you had a supportive environment that allow you to do that. Can you share with us what that supportive environment was and how important you believe that type of environment is for someone on a Lyme disease journey? Yes, totally. So I met my life mentor um, when I was younger, kind of right as these all these symptoms were happening. Um, and he and his wife were so supportive and they really taught me how to have an internal environment where they're, I'm supporting myself and learning how to do that and also having the support of them and other people in my life. So I had them and I had friends and it was that to me was what created the biggest change um, by learning how to do that and to learn how to um, have that environment uh, in community and the support to keep going in my health journey and also how to learn how to do that in myself and then ultimately for other people, um, which is what started happening later. But I think that that supportive environment is everything, which so is why I started doing what I'm doing. <laughs> let, let's put, let's, uh, and, and, and that's the blessing of having you on this podcast. And I, so I, I need awesome. you to give, give us a little bit, a little more meat on that bone. What emotions were you feeling during this, um, during this portion of your journey? What stressful yeah. emotions were you feeling? And how mm -hmm. did you use those specific emotions to propel you to the next step in your nut gathering, you know, to, to really stretch this metaphor, the, your, your nut gathering process? <laughs> I love that. All right, let's get more meat on this bone and you can help me clarify if you need even more. You just tell me. Um, and I'm trying to describe it. It's so fun because as I'm on this podcast with you, right, I'm even learning more. I'm clarifying my journey or even, you know, how that felt even more specifically in terms of what you're asking for. So it's so fun. You know, this is what, this is what I love doing. Um, I'm always learning. Um, that, that's a really great question. So I think the feelings you know, emotionally, I was feeling incredibly supported, you know, by that community, by 
my mentors by um, that feeling of learning how to really, you know, a strength in learning how to go about my health journey in this way that was productive. And I felt like I was moving forward, even though I wasn't getting the ultimate answer. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is utter hopelessness and despair and depression and anxiety and feeling like you're never going to find the answer, which is such a hard feeling, you know, to feel. I really felt that. I felt like, you know, it just felt very bleak and really hard at moments and feeling like I couldn't find, like, I couldn't pinpoint it. I couldn't, I couldn't get that thing, you know, I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. So, um, you know, I definitely felt a lot of frustration. Um, and like I said, depression, hopelessness, despair, um, a lot of dark emotions. And that's, that's really, um, I think getting to the bottom of those feelings and keeping, keeping going to the bottom, you know, keeping feeling like letting myself feel those feelings really propelled me to the next step. And the next clue, like born from that frustration comes the Googling, comes the epic Googling, comes the reaching for something more within myself. That's what, that's what really forced me. It forced me into this whole other life and this whole other way of going about things, you know? Um, And without those feelings, I never would have gotten there, you know? And that's what I was learning too. That's what I um, was learning emotionally too. How do you, how do you use that to get, to get there? So, and, and what did you learn that allowed you to take the next step? Because unfortunately, too many of the people that we've interviewed have told mm-hmm. us that during that stage in their journey, they were actually paralyzed that, mm. you know, that the fight or flight mode had kicked in yeah. and these, these stressful emotions mm-hmm. um, actually, actually paralyzed them. So talk to us about mm-hmm. how this became, you know, these emotions and the way you manage these emotions help to propel you forward rather than to paralyze you. Yes. Well, that's what, you know, that's where that support comes in. Like you were saying, you know, that's kind of like what you're interested in. What I was saying too, is because that supports everything. I, I relate to those paralyzed feelings. And it's not that I didn't have uh, paralyzed emotions along the way. And I think to work with that paralysis, that's why, you know, I wanted to do what I do too, is to help support people in moving forward. Um, even if it's a half a centimeter, sometimes, um, even if it's a foot, even if it's a million feet, you know, that you're making, you're making progress consistently and not staying in that paralyzed state because it's so easy to be there. I mean, I felt that too, you know? Um, but what I was really focused on was how do I use the support that I have to um, even just be with the paralysis, even just talk about it, um, even feel it within myself and use that to keep going, you know, even when I don't feel like I want to even, you know, or having days where I felt totally stuck weeks, whatever, you know, but then it's, but then there's a breakthrough because I'm still willing to be with it all. And I think that's the, that's the important part of the support is that it even allows you, it's not the um, magic bandaid where you're just going to, you know, you're not going to have to do any work and you just find, you know, you just rely on someone else to do that thing. You have to, you know, I had to really dig deep in myself and find that willingness to keep, to keep going and to move forward. So Kim, did you construct your support system or was it something that organically came together for you? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, somewhere deep down, it did organically come together. Um, but deep down, I wanted it. And I was creating that, that, that desire in myself to have that. Um, and then it did organically happen. But then I had to also, you know, um, want that again, again, I had to also, you know, ask for that support, um, lean into that, you know, which is very vulnerable to do, especially when you're going through a health challenge, you know, to talk about things that are going on with you really authentically, that's very hard. So that was a big part of the process too is, um, and I'm still learning that. I always learn that is how do I talk about what's going on with me or my health, um, you know, in my life and connect that with another person to then, you know, create real changes um, in my health, you know. So specifically, what did your support system do for you that allowed you to deal with these stressful emotions and go forward with your healing so that you can continue to grow and continue to heal? Yeah. Um, well, you know, there were practical things like, you know, just even being connected to someone and that uh, transparency of what's going on with you. Because with Lyme, you know, a lot of it is about isolation it's about that paralysis. So to even connect into someone else automatically created change within myself um, to have people who listen and to understand what you're experiencing and to really support you in all the whole spectrum of the emotions that come along with having a health challenge that come along with Lyme. Um, so having that support emotionally was huge, just, just everything. Um, and then also there were practical things like, you know, um, like talking about protocols and um, connecting about that and feeling through that with people. And I started to learn that when I would connect, when I connect with um, a support person, a support network, these people that I lean into on my team, that creates change faster than anything else um, to bring someone else into that process. And, you know, there's, there's an element beyond the practical to that, you know? <laughs> There's something very powerful about connecting with other people through your health journey that's at moments inexplainable, so. Well, is it, is it unexplainable or is it explainable? Meaning when you're engaging in this- <laughs> You want all the answers, Rich. <laughs> I, I absolutely do want all the answers from you, Kim. And, and, and I'm wondering whether or not the pro-social interaction and the pro-social emotions that you were feeling, mm -hmm. for example, gratitude, mm -hmm. were able to help you offset the negative emotions or control the negative emotions so you could move forward. Oh, Definitely. I mean, definitely, they definitely were a counterbalance, you know, um, to it's the other side that would keep that, you know, um, the yin to the yang, whatever you, you know, however you want to put it, but it's, but it's that other side that kept me afloat in, in navigating the waters of this whole journey, you know, um, definitely. But it's more than keeping you afloat. It's actually keeping you moving forward, right? And gratitude, for example, which is one of the most powerful pro-social emotions, mm -hmm. will stop you from suffering and that will allow you to move forward and certainly prevent the triggering of your fight or flight mode. So having this really mm -hmm. important support system that you were able mm -hmm. to tap into put you in a position where you had pro-social emotions propelling you forward rather than Definitely. these negative emotions freezing you. Yes, the boat had a motor. It not only was floating, but it's definitely going forward for sure. Like 
it's, it's amazing that feeling, you know, to have those people in your life, to have the gratitude for having a team around you that you can really lean into. And that's where that forward momentum comes for 100%. Like that was my experience definitely. And it allowed me to have the experience of thriving inside of something that is potentially debilitating and can feel like your life is stopping, like no forward motion, absolutely just dead in the water, not even floating, you're sinking. And that's what it can feel like. But so to have something that makes you feel like you're not only floating, but moving forward, heck yeah, that it's 100% that feeling of connection and gratitude for the support. So Kim, one of the reasons why we at Take Bootcamp recommend to people who are on this journey that they work with other professionals who have been Mm -hmm. on the journey is because only you who have been on the journey can help people to know when they have to pivot and how to pivot because you've been through it. I learned that specifically Mm -hmm. from Casey Kelly, Dr. Casey Kelly, who is a doctor I worked with when I was bitten by a tick last year because she had and does suffer from chronic Lyme disease. And she went through medical school, um, you know, dealing with chronic Lyme disease. So she understands when it's time to pivot medically. She understands what people are going Mm -hmm. through. And like her, because you've been on this journey now with the work that you're doing, you can offer insights to people on when they Mm -hmm. need to pivot and when they need to be pushed and how they need to be pushed because you went on it yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's true. I did. And I really learned that in my own journey is how to detect those feelings, you know, and how to be in touch with those instincts, which is something, again, I learned from my mentors, like, how do I really be in touch with my instincts, not just in life, but in my health journey. And so I got really good at that and really good at doing that um, and really good at hold, you know, the research and the accountability to move a, a story forward. So, um, and then I also realized that, you know, I met people who a couple of people would heal themselves of Lyme or didn't have symptoms anymore. And they told me they did X, Y, and Z. So I did X, Y, and Z and, you know, it didn't work for me. And I just thought, oh, what the heck? you know, and it was so frustrating. So I'm like, well, and then that can create a whole nother mentality of like, why them? Why me? And why can I not be them? You know, and a whole nother level of frustration. But what I learned through that, and again, through all those uh, frustrating feelings and hitting walls was like, oh, no one's journey is the same. So I, I really learned that level of how to be open in my journey and also how to be open in the journey of others that what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for the other person, but there's always instincts involved and learning how to pivot and learning, you know, when that lights up, learning what direction to go down. And I got good at realizing, you know, what direction to go down and when. Well, but Kim, although everyone is physiologically different and every journey is different, success does leave behind clues. And there are some things that mm-hmm. people can do that will allow them to be successful. And 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 mm-hmm. I and Matt is chomping at the bit to uh, to start asking his question. So let me <laughs> let me let me tie up my last couple of questions with you so that I'm not cool. better, Matt, and we'll come back to this uh, later. Um, so, how did you get diagnosed? Who, who finally diagnosed you and how did you get diagnosed? Yes, that's a great question. So I had gone, when I had talked earlier about, you know, going down all these different speci- specialties of these doctors, these different pathways and doing all this Google research, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I had gone down the path of GI, maybe it's GI issues, maybe I have um, parasites, maybe there's something going on in my colon, I didn't know. So I was just going to a gastroenterologist and he was um, really interesting and he really liked testing. He was very into testing. So we started going down the testing route in terms of the GI stuff. Um, I did an exam with him. 
Um, you know, and then I had, I was sitting in his office and he was giving me the results for the GI stuff. And then I just had this, this, um, wherewithal, this instinct to ask for a Lyme test. And I don't know, it just came out of me. Um, and he just stopped and kind of looked at me like, you know, and I'm in a GI doctor's office. It's not even a Lyme doctor's office or general practitioner, but he just immediately was like, we let's do it. You know, he looked a little confusing. He's like, I can, I can totally run those tests for you. And he ran, you know, different kinds of tests, very thorough. Um, and he did the whole spectrum and, um, and sure enough. And then I met with him, you know, a couple of weeks later and he's like, you like, you're right on, you know, you have Lyme and, um, it was just incredible to get that clarity. So, okay. well, I, I, I have to apologize. We have to stay on this for a little bit longer because this is a really, <laughs> this is a really important issue for us to focus Matt, on. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's like, Matt doesn't give me yet. He's like shaking his head. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about, let's talk about this relationship you had with this doctor. Yeah. What, how did you define your relationship with this doctor and why did you feel so comfortable with asking for testing that was outside of the scope of this doctor's expertise? Mm -hmm. um, it had nothing to do with the relationship I had with this doctor. Honestly, I didn't know him very well. It wasn't like I was extremely comfort comforted by, you know, whatever our connection or my experience with him as a practitioner. Um, I barely knew him really. I just had this desire um, to ask for it. And if I was told, no, great, fine, then I can go find someone else. But I just, I, I just had a feeling that he would do it. Um, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I just wanted to ask. Maybe it was just for me, I think more so it was just coming through me at that moment, like some sort of um, something inside of myself, the knowledge started to click together and I had that knowing to ask for the test. Okay, so let's let's pause there for a second. So when I say relationship, I don't mean your personal connection to this doctor. I mean your view of what he or she or they are supposed to be doing for you, right? Mm -hmm. So what is your perspective on what a doctor does for a patient? And what was your perspective on what this doctor was supposed to be doing for you? Right. My perspective, I mean, he's a GI doctor. So I'm thinking he's just, we're just going to deal with GI stuff, but um, you know, probably I asked for it at that time because he's good at testing, you know, maybe somewhere deep down I knew, and I think different doctors are good for different things. And that's something I learned. Um, one doctor might give you that more personal connection where you feel like they're really listening to you. And then that's helping your story move forward for whatever reason, or you feel comfortable asking them things that maybe you wouldn't ask another doctor. One doctor is going to be really good at testing where another doctor isn't. Maybe one doctor is going to know a lot about this certain aspect of something, maybe even in the Lyme world, maybe they know some aspect of it, but they're not necessarily don't know everything. Um, and I think putting together those little pieces that light up is really important in terms of how um, I learned to use doctors and to learn how to navigate those connections. You've now gone to nine or 10 different doctors before you get to the GI doctor. You've now gathered your nuts, your diagnostic nuts, and you finally get to the point where you ask the doctor for a Lyme disease test. What emotion did you have that yes. held you forward to asking for this test? I mean, what, what was the, what gave you the insight? What gave you the grace? What gave you the question, can I have a Lyme disease test? 
Yeah, I love that. Well, I love what you said about grace. Um, and that's, I, I think grace is a powerful thing. And I love how you want to know all the answers because I'm the same way, Rich. I love it. You know, like that determination to answer questions. And then what I learned along this journey is there's also things that are unknown that I can't necessarily explain. So grace is one of those things, you know, that nine years of, you know, struggling with the unknown and not knowing and all those feelings and also my determination and the research I did and who knows why it clicked together in that moment. And I can't even pretend to totally know, but it did. And I think that there's something to be said about, um, you know, the willingness to, to do what you need to do, put one step in front of the other, do where you're, you know, do the research you're compelled to do, um, connect with the people you're compelled to connect. And then sometimes things come together in this really magical, mysterious um, fashion where then you have this uh, clarity or you, you ask for something you need. And um, so I think there's probably a lot of components and it's a great question. Kim, one of the things that I've noticed on your journey so far and that we've seen with some other, other guests that we've interviewed is that you are the reason you okay, got diagnosed. Matt. And I, I'm here. I'm really here. I hey. know. For those that are listening, I've been sitting here like waving and shaking, like, let me talk, please. <laughs> so I just, just got to throw that I out there. I love your excitement. They can't see our body language. <laughs> I know. It's a bummer because it's Seriously. been really good body language. <laughs> But no, I, I just want to say that, Kim, it, it, you are the driving force behind your diagnosis and also behind your health today, because without your research and your drive and your passion, you would still be sick and likely without a diagnosis. I think that's an important part of your story that you should reflect on and be proud of how strong you were and are today to get where you are today. Yeah, thanks. That's so amazing. Well, I love that. And it's an awesome perspective. And I think it's true. You know, I have to be... Um, you know, find that place in myself where I feel willing and, and determined, you know, regardless of everyone else and everything else. And then I need that support to be able to hold, to even keep that going, you know, to even keep that feeling going inside of myself. So let's talk a little bit more about your final diagnosis that you got almost 10 years in. You're, yeah. You push for this test. It comes back positive. It's with your GI doctor. What is mm -hmm. that like? Walk us through that, that doctor's visit when you get your diagnosis. <laughs> I love that. That's so fun. I'm like, Ooh, we're going to go back into that memory. It's great. Um, yeah, I just remember him telling me that I had Lyme and just being slightly in disbelief, you know, like what, like, even though I asked for it, it wasn't like, Oh, I totally know that I have this. This is it. Give me the test. I was just kind of in that exploring still, um, in that sleuthing where I just felt like, I don't know, we'll just ask, let's just see. So when he told me like, yes, across the board, there's no, there's no denying it. Basically, you know, he said a lot of times you get false positives, false negatives, but I ran all these different kinds of tests and by all the markers, you have this and you've had it for a long time. So I was like, wow, you know? And so for me, it was disbelief, but it was also relief, you know? Um, so there's a lot of unknown with everything. Even when you have the diagnosis of Lyme, it's, you don't know. And you're, you're constantly in that unknown. That's what I like to do. At least I like to stay in that unknown place of curiosity and constantly um, learning and revealing itself. So your journey is going to reveal yourself after you even have that Lyme diagnosis, but to have that piece that was concrete and, um, you know, tethered to an extent, it's like, oh, now this whole unknown of nine years, it made me feel right on with what I was feeling about something going on. It made me feel very empowered. It made me feel a lot of relief. Um, and it also made me feel um, in disbelief, in shock, and also fear, 
because it's like amazing. It's, it's this conglomeration of emotions. Cause even though then, okay, now I have this. And I felt like, oh God, now I've got to like fix it. That was the predominant feel. I got to fix it. I got to do something about it. Um, and, before, and that was a big part of my journey too. Yeah. Before we go into the fixing phase of your story, <laughs> we get a lot of DMS and messages all the time from people asking us what are reliable tests. I have, you know, partially some bands positive, some negative. I don't know if I have Lyme. I don't know if I've treated Lyme enough. You mentioned that mm -hmm. you did some testing, but a whole wide range of testing to definitively prove you had Lyme disease. Can you speak more to that for those who are listening, who are looking to get a good definitive test or a grouping of tests to prove they have Lyme disease? Yeah, I think testing is super important. You know, I did the Igenics, I did the ELISA, I did all the you know tests that you do. And I can't say what's best for one person might be best for another person. I think it depends on the Lyme case. That's something I do as well. But I do think that getting thorough testing is super important. And, you know, for me, I just wanted, I wanted all of them done. I was like, do them all <laughs> because then you're going to get the whole picture. Um, and there's Lyme literate doctors that I also, you know, go more into the specifics, you know, of markers of your immune system. There's ways to test where you can see, um, you know, CD57 is a really important one. Um, and then there's other ones that, you know, when you're a Lyme literate doctor, people get more specific. So that's what, you know, you'd want to investigate. And that's part of what I, you know, support as well as like, okay, which tests, which tests to do now. So it's not overwhelming. It's not like all of them at once. So like, maybe it is, but then you're feeling supported along the way. But um, I do think that getting, you know, getting a few tests that kind of show you the, uh, a bigger picture than just one test. I do feel like that's important. And Kim, you mentioned that to see a Lyme literate doctor, and it sounds like after your GI doctor diagnosed you, you went into mm -hmm. the city and found the Lyme literate doctor for further diagnostic testing and treatment. So can you talk more about that journey? Yeah. So obviously once I found out I had Lyme, I was like, okay, I have Lyme. <laughs> and all right, here we go. Um, so I just did some research. I wanted to find someone who was more on the natural side of things. Um, and so I really went into that and, uh, found someone and, you know, I didn't love them. I didn't really like, um, I didn't feel like I was making progress. I didn't really like, but it did kind of give me, you know, they did, they just confirmed, you know, tests, they did some more testing and, um, that was helpful just to be like, okay, here, a Lyme doctor say that, yes, you indeed have Lyme. There's no, you know, and I had read all the things about like, how do you really know? And they had said like, well, there's no mistaking, like there's no way around this. You, you do have it. And it's very clear in your case. And that really resonated with what I had been feeling inside. So I was like, okay. Um, but I didn't stay there necessarily for treatment. I really didn't. Um, I really didn't. Um, so that was part of the process too, just because this person's a Lyme doctor doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're working for me. So then I, started kind of investigating other things. And it wasn't until a little bit later that I found someone who I felt like I could really um, partner with and use some of their tools um, to make some progress. And Kim, I think that's an important tip for people. Just because somebody is a very popular Lyme literate doctor, it uh -huh. doesn't mean they're right for you, right? I mean, we've had yes. so many guests say, I saw the best leading doctors in Lyme disease and it mm -hmm. was an awful experience. Then I found this other doctor who was Lyme literate and we yeah. formed this partnership and I was able to heal. So I think that's an important note mm -hmm. in your story. So you, you were diagnosed by your GI doctor. You got confirmed by this Lyme litter doctor in New York City. And then you mm -hmm. went on to another doctor. So talk to us about the next steps and when you finally started to treat Lyme disease and what that was like. 
Yeah. Um, so I really, I met someone who I felt like had a knowledge that um, really intrigued me and felt like I could feel like, I feel like they know what they're doing. And even then it was like, you know, then I wanted to just put everything in their hands and go like, okay, well, I'll just do whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's good too. And I, but then I had to learn that, okay, I still have to be aware in myself. It's my journey. I still have to think about this and connect even with my support team. You know, that's a huge part of it for me about like, what's feeling right. What's not. Um, and I still do that in my health journey. What's right. What feels right. What's not, where do I need to go? What's the next piece of the puzzle? Um, instead of just like, Oh, okay. You even know stuff. I actually really like you. Uh, he seems super smart. Let's just do everything that they say that I should do. Um, so again, I think it's like that creativity of finding people. So I started doing what he said and started making some progress. And then I hit a wall where it felt like, okay, now I'm not making progress just doing everything he says, but there's some things that he's saying that really, you know, make sense to me. And there's some things that this other doctor, so I started working with multiple doctors at once. And that was a huge revelation. And this doctor who was helping me in these other ways than the Lyme literate doctor was not as Lyme literate as this other one. Um, he actually is more of a general practitioner. He has some knowledge of Lyme. He's helped people with Lyme, but he's not like this big Lyme doctor. So it's really like feeling into things um, is what I learned and using them as part of your team, but always you're the center. You know, I'm the, I'm the one that I need to really rely on my team who's helping me in all these other ways to put together and use these doctors accordingly. And Kim, your experience is consistent with the stories we've had of other guests on this podcast who have had success because you now saw a doctor who was treating you and sort of just telling you what to do, but then you pivoted to mm -hmm. see multiple doctors and get multiple mm -hmm. points of feedback and, and learn what's working and what's not working and then utilize that in your healing journey. But you did, totally. I want to get a little more detailed because you mentioned that your, your first Lyme doctor was treating you and it was very rigid. He was just telling you what to do. And then you pivoted to some other doctors and did some additional treatment. What specifically mm -hmm. did you try in your treatment journey and what worked and what didn't work for you specifically? Oh yes, totally. Um, well, this is fun. It's going to be a whole gaggle, a whole list of things. <laughs> so in the whole spectrum of my journey, um, including before and after I had Lyme, I was actually doing some things that now they say, oh, that's actually supportive of Lyme, but I just didn't know it. So um, I did hydrogen peroxide. I did hydrogen peroxide internally. I did ozone. I did fasting. I did um, juice fasting, bone broth fasting, water fasting. Um, I did herbs. I did Buner protocol. I did um, I did things that worked for other people, <laughs> vitamins, um, Cravacol. Um, I did all sorts of things. Um, I did vitamin C IVs. I did HBOT. I did hyperbaric oxygen chamber. I did infrared sauna. Um, yeah. So I tried, <laughs> I tried. What about in the antibiotics world? Did you do any oral or IV antibiotics? I did. So I got a pick line and actually did six weeks of antibiotics, um, set triaxone and also another one that was pretty intense. Um, and that, you know, you obviously have to do them through the pick line because if you do them through the IV, it burns out your, your veins. Um, so I got the whole pick line and I did that. And, you know, it's interesting. Like I was very resistant. I'm very along the natural lines of things. And I was very resistant to even trying them. Um, but I thought it was so worthwhile to try that 
um, it was not the end all be all answer for me, but, um, I don't, you know, I don't regret that. I think it's a great decision to, to go with what you're feeling. And I actually saw that it helped in some other ways. It was interesting because there's so many things going on, not just when you have Lyme, but also just when you have a body and so many little things that happen. So I also felt like maybe, you know, this, maybe it's taking care of things that I don't even know that are going on in my body. Um, you know, I'd been to South Africa when I was like, younger, like, oh, is it part of that? Like some sort of something I picked up there. I had Epstein-Barr virus. Like I really felt like there were some things that were happening during the antibiotics that were, um, that were interesting. So, so you know, I think it can look different for different people. A two-part question. The first part of this question is in the wide variety of things that you tried that you just described, what were some mm -hmm. of the items that you feel helped you the most? Yeah. Essential oils for sure. And so I, and I didn't mention that in the list of things. I guess I was going through the things that, you know, I forgot to mention those in, in the list of things that I felt like didn't work as much. But for me, the essential oils really helped me um, not only manage my symptoms along the way, take care of pain, take care of colds that would pop up, take care of anxiety, um, insomnia, you know, the non-toxic lifestyle that I feel like is required to really heal from chronic illnesses or any disease. Um, but then they also, uh, got rid of my co-infections and were supportive in putting my Lyme into remission. So, um, I think that they really, that to me is what stands out as something that really helped me. So before I, I also start think there's something, mm -hmm. sorry, before I, yeah, before we go into more detail about essential oils, because we absolutely are going to do that. I want to ask if you can just describe some of those things you've mentioned that didn't mm -hmm. help you as much what warnings or tips or advice can you give to our listeners who are in the throes of Lyme and in their healing journey and looking for treatments to try in that yes. long list of things you tried, <laughs> what kind of tips or hacks or warnings can you give our listeners from your own personal experience? Yes, I love that. So the biggest tip that I would give myself if I could talk to myself now as a 38 year old, and if I'm talking to people now out there that are listening, I would say, don't be scared and don't do things out of fear. And always, I would tell myself, I would always listen to myself above anything else and really learn how to um, learn how to learn about yourself and learn how to learn how to navigate um, health challenges from a place that's beyond um, other people or, or the fear of that you're sick. You know, I think there's a lot of fear around being sick and a lot of fear around disease. And that's something I had to work through a lot. I always have to work through that. You know, we have these bodies and they get sick and it can be really scary and hard when you see your body get weaker or deteriorate or where you're out of control in a certain way. So that's one of the biggest things because I made decisions out of fear, um, out of connection. The other biggest thing I would say, connect with people, build a team around yourself and and really trust those people and really um, lean into that connection because that's really where that real change and also staying out of fear. That's what made that possible for me. Kim, fear and, and anxiety are very common with Lyme and chronic illness. And many people yes. recognize that. <laughs> they recognize that, but yet they fail to overcome it. So how did you overcome mm -hmm. that fear to take these steps forward? Because fear can lead to inaction. And it could also yeah. lead to bad decisions and bad actions. So how did you overcome totally. your fear to make proper decisions to heal your body and heal from Lyme disease? Yeah, I love that question. Okay, we're getting deep. We're getting real here. I love it. 
Chick food can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just did a fist pump. That was great. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's an amazing question. I think a big part of my journey was around that fear and anxiety that it comes up so strong with Lyme. Um, and I realized that I kept trying to fix things. I kept trying to, to, to get rid of the fear and overcome it, like you're saying. And I learned and I continue to learn in my health journey that I can't overcome it. I can't get rid of fear, but can I be with it? Can I, can I learn to use it and kind of become like a ninja with the fear and learn how to propel, use it to propel me forward to the next clue or just be with it and then go like, okay, I'm scared and just, you know, acknowledge it instead of, um, being scared, not knowing you're scared, frantically looking for an answer, uh, trying to fix it, and then wasting a lot of time and money in the process and being alone in that process. So I think I learned how to rely on other people too and go like, I'm scared and say to someone else, I'm scared. And like, I, you know, um, and to, to do it anyway, it's not that there's going to be a total absence of fear, but can I use it, you know, successfully? So it's really a combination of recognizing that you have fear being open mm -hmm. about it with yourself and not and not burying it deep down inside and then communicating yeah. with your support system to encourage you to overcome that fear and sort of become mm -hmm. that fear ninja as you described to be able to overcome it and move <laughs> on and, and gain success it sounds like yeah totally that's it become the fear ninja <laughs> that's ultimately the tip <laughs> learn to aikido fear you know <laughs> and you need i needed other people to learn how to do that you know um and, and I stayed alone in that fear with my health challenge for some time. And then I saw that, you know, when I connected with other people, it, things moved a lot quicker, not just practically, but also um, in that emotional supportive component of having a chronic illness. But I do want to ask you something about, about the state of depression. Did you ever experience any sort of depression with your illness during your diagnostic journey or even during your, your journey when you were treating? Um, yes. Okay. So what, uh, wholeheartedly, totally. One common theme we have been seeing and people reach out all the time and, and they, some people don't even realize how depressed they are. And then other people come mm -hmm. to us and say, we're just horribly depressed. We have Lyme, we're treating, we're not making success. And I mm -hmm. know my depression is causing me to not heal as quickly or as, as good as I can. How can I overcome this depression that comes along with chronic illness? So how did you overcome yeah. that depression? Just like you overcame that fear to heal your body. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that support and community, you know, having a team, number one, and also number one slash two, <laughs> you know, um, I would say it's second is the essential oils. Those really helped me in terms of mood, anxiety, depression. They are magical in my opinion. Um, you know, if you're getting the right ones and they really started to work for me in terms of that kind of everyday experience and helping that as well. So that's the perfect transition back to essential oils, because I really want to do a deep dive with you. We've heard so yeah. much about essential oils. We've scratched mm -hmm. the surface with some other guests. We've gone into certain <laughs> areas with others, but I think you're going to be the guest that we're able to explore all of the areas about essential oils. With. So Awesome. From what we understand, <laughs> essential oils can be applied in three different main ways. It's sort of topically on your skin in different areas of your body uh, mm -hmm. through, you know, through a diffuser. So, uh, you know, you can inhale it and also you mm -hmm. can ingest or, or take them internally as well. So did mm -hmm. you take essential oils in all three manners to help in your healing journey? I did. Yeah. So 
let's focus on the, the aromatherapy component first, fusing a diffuser mm -hmm. and diffusing these essential oils. What oils did you use and how did you use them to treat your various symptoms that you're having from Lyme disease? Yeah, um, I used Young Living oils. They're, to me, they're therapeutic grade. They are, do not have toxins in them. Um, so that was really important to me is to not add to my toxic load, number one. Um, there are no regulations on essential oils in the entire country, which is very sad. Um, so you can put a leaf on it. You can even call it organic. Um, and there are still fillers in there. There are still toxins. Um, and also what happens is, you know, when you pull that first batch from the bottle, it will be diluted into 20 batches. Um, with Young Living, it's right from the bottle to, from the plant to the bottle, every single bottle. So that to me was like, okay, I want things to work. I'm very practical. Um, I really believe in the bigger aspect, that spiritual aspect of, you know, healing, um, the psychological, emotional component for sure. And I'm also incredibly practical. Um, you know, that's probably that, that part of me that appealed to the science and to Duke was very like, I like uh, results. I like research. I like testing. Um, and I like things to work. So even when I first heard about essential oils, I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Like essential oils, you know, like foofy foof. And like, you know, I had a lot of associations with them as, um, things that were for, you know, granolas and hippies and they didn't really work and they're kind of airy fairy. And, you know, but then when I started to try these specific oils, I just saw thing after thing work. It was kind of crazy. And so when you have those experiences and then say you're getting testing where you test um, for Bartonella and Babesia, and then you take um, essential oils internally, these oils internally, um, and then you get a test back, you know, um, where it says you don't have those things anymore. It's interesting to me. That's kind of interesting. So um, I'm very practical. So I would see them work for my emotions. I would see them help with my sleep. I literally started sleeping better. My anxiety lowered. Um, I don't think they're like the cure-all for everything at all, but they are an amazing tool. And as actually, as I started doing research, I started seeing, oh, this is what people used to do for medicine, you know, before um, modern society and medicine came along, people used herbs and plants and oils. Um, and that's how, what they used for everything. So before we go on to taking mm -hmm. essential oils internally to actually help treat co-infections mm -hmm. like Babesia and, and Bartonella, let's go back oh, to yeah, diffusing. From, from an aromatherapy <laughs> standpoint, what specific yes. essential oils or blending of oils would you use to treat your various symptoms that you had? Yeah. So I used thieves oil. That's a huge one. So speaking of the history behind things, you know, uh, during the plague, when that was happening, there were these herbalists who wanted to rob the dead bodies of people who were sick on and dead on the road, on the streets and without getting sick. So they developed this blend and they put it in their plague masks and they put it on their bodies and they robbed these bodies and they didn't get sick and they didn't die. And so this blend then, you know, Gary Young, the founder of Young Living developed this same recipe and, and called it thieves after that history, which is so fascinating to me. I love that story. And so then I saw it work for me, not only, so diffusing that was huge for me. Um, other oils, there are a lot of anti-stress. There's nerve oils that really help, Copaiba, 
uh, lavender, there's different blends. There's a mil- you know, there's so many and I like to tailor it to like whatever people are wanting. Can, or, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. can you, can you tell us what you use Steve's for and then give us some examples yeah. of oils you use for anxiety and stress so we can give our listeners some specific tips of things they can try and buy specific young living oils to try to treat their yeah. various symptoms they're, they're experiencing with Lyme disease. Yeah, totally. Um, so I use Steve's diffusing. Um, I use it not only for Lyme, but also for mold poisoning. Um, a lot of people have mold issues along with Lyme. I use that for my mold and for my Lyme. I also took it internally, um, with some other oils as well. And that's something that people can reach out to me about too. I love helping people tailor, uh, plans and protocols, um, and with specific oils, cause I could literally recommend these things, but it might be different for every single person. Um, so that's, I'm a great resource for that. And I also get an awesome discount through my brand, um, which I love also hooking up chronic illness people with because treatment's so expensive. And so to be able to like offer that to people at less is really awesome as well. Um, so yeah, I think that that Thieves was super important for me. Um, oregano, time, they were like a whole bevy of protocol I did that I took internally diffused, put on my feet, um, et cetera. And that really helped with the bacterial. So thieves is antiviral, it's antibacterial and it's antifungal. So it hits that trifecta of um, issues, which is really cool. So Kim, let's talk more about now taking essential oils from an internal standpoint. So you mentioned mm-hmm. that you would take them internally to actually kill off some of these co-infections and, and help get yeah. your Lyme into remission. So mm-hmm. what oils would you use internally and describe for us, like, are these actually killing bacteria and killing viruses inside your body by ingesting these essential oils? Yes, it's actually doing that. <laughs> and it actually, they, so essential oils cross the blood brain barrier, which is another huge thing. And which is why they can make progress when some other things don't. Um, and that's cool. I'm always interested in that brain blood barrier connection, especially cause Lyme, you know, goes there <laughs> and it can affect things. And so when you're taking certain supplements and herbs, it can't really reach that. But if you're doing oils, if you're doing some, you know, certain IVs, it can do that as well. Um, and to me, that was really important. So I was really seeing the big difference there. Um, yeah, I was taking thieves, which is a blend of clove and cinnamon bark and eucalyptus radiata, rosemary and lemon. Um, and then I was also taking, um, oregano, I was taking some extra clove. I was taking thyme, and I was taking peppermint. Peppermint's another really, um, big one as well. I wouldn't recommend anyone to ingest anything besides young living. Uh, personally, I can't in good conscience recommend that. So, um, but those oils are really great to take internally and, um, just created a lot of movement for me as well. Now, do these oils do any, anything beyond being an antiviral and antibacterial component? Are there immune boosting properties to some of these essential oils being taken internally as well? Oh, yes. So many. Thieves, again, that's immune boosting. There's so many immunostimulating oils, um, which is pretty amazing because what they are is they're plants. <laughs> they're plants in a therapeutic form. And there's so many that help your immune system boost. And you can also put them on the bottom of your feet. When you diffuse them, you're getting that same benefit. Um, it's a different, you know, experience. It's a different kind, um, but you're still getting it when you're diffusing as well. So like if you just diffuse thieves every day in your house, you're stimulating your immune system, you're boosting it, and you're also killing any germs, pathogens that might be there as well. And this is stuff that's been tested. Again, I like the testing. I like to be like, okay, 
like this kills this in a petri dish, you know, um, it kills 82% of mold when you test it, you know, when you test it just diffused, talk, not, not even talking about taking it internally as well, which I did for my mold. Um, so, you know, if you're using it at different angles as well, it can really create a lot of movement and can cover a big part of that percentage in that picture. So talking about the different angles you can use essential oils from. So now let's go to the mm -hmm. third, the third and final area, which is topically. I know I use mm -hmm. peppermint oil when I get a bad headache or migraine on my temples and my neck, and it works wonders better than Excedrin yeah. and even prescription migraine medications. Yes. So talk to us <laughs> yes. about how you use essential oils topically to help with certain Lyme related symptoms. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I love it. Um, so there's peppermint, like you said, right? For headache, there's like a blend that they have in Young Living called M-Grain. And it's basically the natural migraine reliever, but natural form, you know, instead of that Excedrin, et cetera, peppermint, lavender, you know, basil, all this fun stuff. Um, so I would use different stuff for headaches, um, for pain. Copaiba is awesome. That's another one. And again, like tailor-made to what people are dealing with, but Copaiba, for example, really helpful with pain relief. And you can also take it internally. I take that internally. It's also awesome for your nerves, not just for pain, but also for your nerves. Um, there's a blend called Panaway that, you know, any muscle tension you have, any sort of pain, you put that on and it goes away. So it's like those kind of simple things. You can put it right on the muscle. You can put it right on the bone or the pain um, for the head stuff. I would put it at the base of my skull, all over my, uh, temples, you know, the actual head. Um, like you're saying, you feel that experience where it just goes away. And to me, that's what I'm really interested in. You know, like, what is that experience where the plants work better than Advil, Excedrin, et cetera. And you're not having the, the side effects. You're not having to deal with that toxic load. You're not having to deal with how it rips up your gut, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, again and again, things that I would use. So Kim, we're going to drop your contact information into the show notes. And thank you for offering to provide advice and guidance and help people on their journey. Yeah, uh, We highly encourage people to reach out to you because clearly essential oils can be used from many different angles and many different ways to help people mm -hmm. healing from Lyme disease. And I want to end with this final question for me before I hand it back to Rich, which is, I mean, you are now, we've been talking for hours since considering we've been talking offline even before we started and you, your energy is still great. You're, you're cognitively with it. But give us an assessment of how your health is today compared to you where you were when you were first sick. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. It feels fun to celebrate that. Um, live on a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't used to be, um, I didn't have this level of energy, you know, when I first started. And again, like all those symptoms, you know, now I sleep. Um, now I sleep well. I didn't sleep like that. I'm constantly nervous, um, you know, a lot of anxiety acne, rashes, um, my skin was just wrecked. Um, I did not look healthy. My hair was falling out at different points, um, you know, and now I feel what you're saying, that cognitive um, sharpness back, um, that emotional levity and stability um, that um, I sleep well, you know, I have full days. I wake up at 6.45 and a lot of times I don't stop until you know, I go with my friends after a work day um, and I do dinner with them and I don't stop till 10 p.m. And that to me is a miracle because I used to just feel wrecked after, you know, a few hours of living and dragging myself. I don't feel like I'm dragging myself through the day anymore. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a different experience from where I was at for sure. 
And yeah, my hormones are more balanced. My weight's fluctuated. Uh, and during that Lyme process, it's, it doesn't do that on, anymore. Um, my weight's stable and, um, yeah, and I'm starting, you know, I've gotten back to the things that I loved and started exercising again, all that stuff. So, so Kim, let's talk about the transformational nature of your Lyme journey. You went from a kid who was, uh, I guess, dreaming about being a professional or an Olympic mm-hmm. athlete. You, uh, mm-hmm. then moved into the health field when you were in college, you pivoted over to acting mm-hmm. and now you're back uh, in the healing arena and the health field. Yeah. Talk to us about how, how um, your journey brought you back to the core of what you were always meant to do. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. Um, yeah. I had, you know um, I thought I was gonna be a gymnast forever. Then I thought I was gonna be an actress forever. <laughs> and uh you know, I think Lyme really taught me to, um, be present with, uh, you know, it's a teacher. Um, it's part, it's part teacher in helping me be with what was unfolding, which is like this thing was entering into my life and I was having these symptoms and it wouldn't go away. You know, it wasn't to be ignored. And so I can have all these ideas of what I wanted to do. And yet there was something that was knocking, you know, at this door and I just wanted to shoo it away like a fly. Oh, look, it's not a woodland animal, but we've got another kind of um, insect and animal coming in. (laughs) But like, I wanted to shoo it away like a fly and just be like, go away. But that's not what happened. And now it's leading me to where I'm at now, which is pretty amazing. And I, if you had asked me when I was 16, you know, what I was going to do, it wouldn't be anything remotely close to this, but I just followed the I just followed the path and I keep doing that. Um, You know, it's, it's a really powerful thing to do. And even now, you know, I still have some uh, residual Lyme and my Lyme's in remission technically, but I I still feel that there are things that are going on maybe in my joints, et cetera. So I'm still in that process of that final uh, journey for myself. And it's cool because I can really relate to people still in that experience, even though I'm totally different and in a different place than I was. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always going to have a health journey and when the Lyme ends, there's going to be something else. Um, and so for me, I get really excited about, um, following that story and about health challenges. And it's really cool that I got to have this Lyme challenge because now I'm able to help other people, not just from a place of research and knowledge and interest and sleuthing and curiosity, but also from a really deep experience of having had it. And having wished that I had someone um, that did what I did, um, you know, and you had mentioned Rich before we started the podcast, I've never seen anyone doing what you're doing. And I agree, you know, and that's what made me feel so excited about doing what I'm doing, because I felt like there wasn't anyone doing what I was doing. Um, and I wanted to do that. And I wanted to be that person uh, for people and not um, pretend to have the answer not pretend to be done with my journey um, and be healed in this way where, you know, um, catch up to that place. And I, I just felt like I'm in it with everyone and um, I'm just further down the road um, than you are. And, um, and me and people even might get better faster than I did, you know? Um, And that's the coolest thing to me is that the years of experience that I had of not getting better, I get to shorten that for people with everything that I've been through. So that feels, that's the most exciting thing to me. And to also, you know, I just talked to a, um, a new client the other day and she was saying like, um, you know, I feel like people, um, like, I really feel like you're listening to me and I really feel like, um, I haven't been listened to in this journey. 
And I feel like you've been through it. And so you can really help me navigate this. And I'm like, exactly. That's exactly it. You know, and it's so amazing to hear her say that it makes everything that I've been through worth it to hear people say that because then I'm able to give people that hope and that um, support in a way that um, I think is really interesting and that I always wanted and that I found through um, my mentors. And now I got to translate it to this arena of Lyme and to become that person for other people. So let me ask you one more question about these nuts that you were picking up as a, uh, as a, you know, in, in the metaphor we were talking about before, really sort of the, I think, Squirrel metaphor. I think, I think what would be more powerful, quite frankly, is the, is the, is the, you know, the name of your business, right? The, the, you're picking up mm -hmm. little clues, right? The sleuth is going to be picking up these yes. little clues on each step on her path. And I'm just wondering whether or not you thought about how you were picking up skills as you were going through each step in your, even professional yeah. journey, you went from being this robust athlete who mm -hmm. then suffered an injury and had to, had to learn how to, uh, you know, make that pivot to having mm -hmm. an interest in when you're at Duke University studying um, biology, and then mm -hmm. you pivoted over to acting so that you can learn mm -hmm. about emotions and how to use your emotions and how, what role they play in, mm -hmm. which then takes you on this Lyme journey to the place where you are now. So talk about how each one of those steps in your journey brought you to the place where you now have this full set of skills that allow mm -hmm. you to help people in a way no one else um, is able to. Yeah, that's cool. I love that question. It's so fun. Um, yeah, so I think that gymnastics, you know, being a gymnast really just uh, highlighted and helped me learn about that part of myself that's incredibly determined, that has a focus and a strength that can supersede the physical. Um, I would be able, I was always doing, I was the one doing the triple backflip. Uh, the triple twist, the, the moves that people weren't even doing yet, you know, um, that I was training for the, I was starting to train for the Olympics at a certain point, you know, the Olympic coach had asked me to move down to Texas and, you know, train full time down there. And it was, I never felt like I was the best gymnast. I don't think that, but I had a heart and a determination that, that people noticed. And I think that that's really what helped me, um, when I reflect back on it, I think that's the only reason I could do all those moves. You know, I don't know if I was the most physically adept. I didn't point my toes the best. Um, you know, I wasn't the, the technically the best gymnast, but there was something about that, um, that desire to be in the physical experience and learn how to really um, master it and to learn how to bring my heart and my passion and my focus to that. So that was kind of that, you know, I have a grit, a lot of determination <laughs> that enabled me to do crazy moves that no one else would do. So that's, that's one thing, you know, um, that I use now. And then I think, you know, Duke and that whole experience, you know, when I look back on it, I go, huh, you know, again, fish out of water. I don't think I was the smartest person. I don't think that, um, you know, I know everything. I don't think that even, you know, um, I think I went there and I think I had that experience because of that kind of curiosity um, and that kind of research and the, that kind of desire to achieve um, for better or worse, you know, had a de desire to achieve and to figure things out and um, to be successful. So I wanted to be successful. And I thought at the time with my limited knowledge that going to a top, you know, five university in the country would be my way to succeed. 
And even though that was not my way, um, I feel like, you know, that desire to succeed um, really, you know, applies to my health journey and applies to what I do now. Um, and that curiosity for research. I really loved that. I loved writing research papers, even though I put them off, you know, I was a procrastinator, put them off to the, you know, to the week before, the night before. I still loved it. I loved doing the research. It was so cool. Um, and so that's kind of how I am now. And I love doing research and helping people move forward with that and uh, the accountability. So then I think the acting really taught me, um, it was a playground for me to learn about my creativity. Um, my mentor really taught me about that and how to really be alive and present and available to that moment, you know, to the improv, quote unquote, of a scene. But really what it was about was being alive and open, available to my life and to hearing what I'm, what I'm hearing and trusting myself and um, going with that flow. Um, and the creativity. And so that's really when I started to realize, oh, everyone's Lyme journey is different. My Lyme journey is different. I have to approach this like I would approach a scene. I would approach it like a creative, a creative act, you know, where I don't know the next moment. I don't know what that person's going to throw at me. I don't know what, how they're going to say that line. I don't know what we're doing together, but here we are. And so it's the same thing. Like, what's the Lyme going to bring? What's, what's that protocol I'm going to do going to make my body feel like, I don't know. I don't know any of those things. You know, you can say, oh, do a Lyme IV, do a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. Um, but you don't know how you're going to feel. You don't know if it's going to work. You don't know when it's going to work. Um, do you stay with it for two months? Do you try it twice? You know, can you follow that, that thread? So I think, you know, what I do now as the wellness sleuth and that name, uh, stuck because I started to think like, what do I really do? You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know everything. Um, I'm open to different things. Um, I know my experience. I know some things that have worked for me, but what, you know, what do I do? And then that kind of like, oh, I'm a sleuth. That's what I'm really good at. And that's what people who I were, was helping, even friends, you know, before I started doing what I do now would say like, oh, you're like, you, you're good at like investigating and research and like, like following this trail. Um, and I really learned how to do that over the years. So I thought, oh my God, that's what I am. I I'm like a, like a health detective. Like, what is that? <laughs> you know, I'm a Lyme detective. It's a wellness sleuth. So um, that's what I like to do. I like to uh, approach everything creatively and um, as honest and humble as I possibly can. And I really love that unknown space where I don't know, you know, and I can't say, I tell my, uh, you know, I told this new client, I tell my clients when they come on, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And I'm not going to tell you that I know everything. And it's going to be a journey of collaborating together. And I'm your teammate. And we're going to, I'm going to offer you my experience. And we're going to learn how you become your own sleuth together. And then that just creates the accountability to move forward and for you to get in touch with your own instincts. And I'm good at recognizing when those are happening. And I'm good at recognizing when my instincts are operating and when they're not. And that's been, that's a huge part of my health journey. So I think the creativity and the fun too, because, oh my God, Lyme can just feel like a black hole of unfun nothingness and crap. <laughs> and so I also like to make it feel fun, you know, like even how we're talking now or talking in the beginning, like, can I take this thing that is like seemingly the most miserable, hopeless thing ever? And can we make it fun? Can we have a connection where it actually feels fun to you? That's, that's what I want, you know, and that's what I wanted. And so I love 
doing that for people and being in that unknown space with them and watching the journey unfold with them. It's pretty cool. So now wellness sleuth, I have one final question for you. If <laughs> yes. Your mentor who meant so much to you on your journey called mm-hmm. you up right after this podcast and said, Hey, mm-hmm. I have a tick biting me on the back of my neck. What would you recommend <laughs> to this mentor so that he, she, or they would not have to go through a terrible chronic Lyme disease journey? Yeah. Well, I love that. I would recommend, I mean, we would immediately start connecting, you know, about that experience. What happened? Where, where were you, you know, just start sleuthing and bringing the connection. I would say like that the best thing that they were doing was calling me and talking about it and wanting to bring in solution. And I think starting with that desire and that connection, it unfolds everything from there. Um, And I would tell them, you know, let's maybe start taking the essential oils, you know, if that feels right, start taking them internally, start, go to a doctor's, you know, start, start sleuthing out your team and I would be a part of their team. And so the creative journey would begin, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I would definitely get someone on the oils, um, either topically diffusing internally right away. Um, and then I would really just start the journey with them. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Kim Stansel. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about the Lyme sleuth, Kim Stansel, and her Lyme disease journey, please visit her Instagram page at The Wellness Sleuth. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media button you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to offer us on the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get you automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. As always, we thank you for listening.